Hey guys, welcome to episode 138 of Biomast. Um, I have to apologize, I'm recovering from a pretty nasty cold this week, so my voice is, is very raspy. Uh, we'll probably have Zell and the others kind of handle most of the discussion today, but I thought I'd kick it off um, by uh, getting the stream going and everything like that. So let's start with some introductions, and then we'll go down our list of some interesting stuff that Zell's put together for us. So top of the list with Soraya Zell. Hi, I'm Soraya Zell. I'm a co-host here on the show. Um, I put I put this week's list together. I put everything on it. So um, if you really really hate the uh, the topics of choice this week, it's my fault. It's always Zell's fault. But no, really, it's actually a pretty solid list of a lot of cool tech stuff that's happening right now. So it's it's good to cover it all. Uh, Bait, you're up, man. Hey everybody, good evening. My name is Bait, and I uh, did not contribute to the list at all this week. As usual, but that's okay. We still like you. And uh, our very own Han Brolo. Tell me the odds, man. Jay's not paying attention. I'm, I'm trying to lead oh, in with I'm his sorry. clever I'm, name. I'm sorry. There I'm, he goes. <laughs> absolutely talking with no, uh, with no mic button pushed. So this is episode 138, right? Yes, sir. Okay. All right. So I'm, I'm reaching here for the memory bank. So the only thing I got from 138 is there was an old, I think it was the very first George Lucas movie, THX-1138. So... I'll have to. I'll take a, a a pass and go with a week win on this one for uh, the one three eight out of THX one one three eight, which by the way was the name of the one of the stormtroopers in the original uh, original New Hope. No relation to, between the two movies. Just interesting factoid. Other than that, I'm doing well and I'm uh, happy to be here to listen to Zell talk tonight. It'll be awesome. <laughs> It'll be a train wreck, but you know it's we're we're, we're good at that. So we'll, yeah, we'll push should, forward. Should, should I clarify that I've had like I actually did get like four hours of sleep um, before the show, but that I have been like running on nothing. You're you're already telling people that the sun's in your eyes before you miss the ball, man. <laughs> I know. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Livy, you're up. Uh, hi everyone, I'm Livy, um, lifestyle blogger. Uh, Kind of trying to find a game to enjoy. So if anyone has any suggestions, please toss them. <laughs> yeah, we've been struggling lately to find something that's uh, suitable. I'm I'm very picky, and and she's trying to appease my my very picky gaming habits. So we're we're, we're working on it. So if you have uh, suggestions, please let us know. Um, but I am Pokey Draven. I usually host the show, but like I said, my voice is kind of shit this week. So we're gonna have Zell take care of it. So uh, Zell. Tell us about what's going on with the uh, the Vive tracker. This is kind of an interesting one, a new accessory for the, the Vive headset. Yeah, so um, the, the big news this week starts with the fact that it was the uh, 2017 CES Consumer Electronics Show. Unsurprisingly, there was a lot of VR, there's a lot of drones, um, but as a new Vive owner myself, the coolest thing that I saw was the, uh, the Vive tracker. And the Vive tracker is like, um, it's like this like four inch by four inch like puck thing with little weird appendages and and tracking sensors and the idea is is it is um that you can attach it to peripherals that don't have um don't have tracking in the the vive system and and then they'll have it so you know if you remember uh you know and i I actually i have most of this in my house which is the shameful part but if you remember like all the little accessories you get for wiimotes like you'd snap a wiimote into like a steering wheel or you'd snap a Wiimote into like um, the handle of a baseball bat. And then you have like a, a baseball bat um, rather than being limited to the shapes of uh, the Vive controllers themselves. 
which are perfectly workable for a lot of things like you know just like a normal pistol you can just kind of assume there's a barrel coming off the top of it you know you could you don't see the actual controller um but if you want a you know full physical piece of hardware you can hold on to you can build any sort of accessory you want and then just make a little socket to hook this um vive tracker on and then they'll be able to track it so obviously there were there like little rifles and stuff and um uh you know sports sports gear that you would hook this vive tracker onto and then you'd be able to track it in the virtual world um with a game that's programmed to to use it so um that's that's pretty cool i i was kind of expecting more to see devices with the sensors built in but this lets you know htc handle the the tracking hardware which they're clearly good at and lets everybody else just make the stupid accessories yeah i mean these are kind of interesting i i have to laugh because this looks like a device while it's very cool for us now in 10 years we'll probably be laughing about how goofy this you know ashtray looking thing mounted to the top of a, a plastic gun is going to be compared to the you know usb sized uh tracking devices we'll have you know in, in future iterations of this sort of thing it's just, it, it's it's kind of an enjoyable and charming clunkiness to it. i mean as well as they've done a job it, it's it's gonna be kind of weird a couple of years i think are, are you planning on getting one of these though oh god yes i have to buy everything vive related now that i have one so like um yeah i'll buy one of these i mean i i probably will wait to see like when there's a game that uses it first maybe hopefully um but yeah um i'll definitely buy one because it sounds like there's going to be a you know potentially a lot of stuff they had said something like that a whole bunch of different you know a couple hundred different vendors had potentially gotten in like taken their um class and how their tech worked and stuff like that so there's there's a lot of accessory makers interested in it so um it should be should be pretty interesting so i'm kind of flipping their website here and Oh, sorry, go ahead. Well, so it just sits on top of whatever, or does it have to plug into something? Um, I, I think it probably has a plug-in. Like, I, I think you can just have, like, a dummy item that clips onto it, you know? But that also you can probably, like, attach, like, if you put in triggers and buttons and stuff on your, your funky controller, that, that'll hook into the Vive Tracker as well. Oh, okay. Because they, huh. had, they had both both types there. Uh, so pr- presumably... Like just a dumb one and oh, okay. like a dumb accessory, and then one with buttons. So presumably okay. there's some flexibility there, and what you can there's got to be some sort of connection to it. Yeah, looking a little more closely at the picture, I do see the little uh, little port for the cord. Yeah, I think in the the image we've got on the, the Twitch stream, like in that example, it's mounted on the top of a like the upper um, rail of a like a gun, and then it looks like it has a cord that's kind of coming out of the tracker and plugging into the actual barrel of the gun. And I imagine that's probably so it can track um, additional inputs like trigger pulls and stuff like that. So that's that's actually pretty cool and flexible. It, it does kind of open up a lot of possibilities for things you can do with this. That if the peripheral is more than just you know, waving your hand around, you can actually have it do, you know, additional functions based off what kind of peripheral you're using. So, um, and then the other news, because there's a couple other things that uh, uh, HTC announced at the same time. Um, They actually, uh, they they came up with a new uh, head strap thing that they're calling the deluxe audio strap, because while the uh, Oculus does not have, uh, well, the Oculus has built-in headphones, um, and the Vive does not. Um... The, what the Vive has is it has a little tail coming off the back to plug in an audio jack for headphones. Um, and so they are actually coming out with a new head strap, which is hopefully... Uh, the head strap itself is a, a, a different shape. It's improved. Um, it, it's actually... It, it kind of grips 
around the back of your head a little bit better, and it actually will allow you to rotate the Vive headset away from your eyes without taking the headset off. It's a lot more like um, the the PlayStation VR. Um, and actually, more like PlayStation VR is something you'll hear again before the show is over. Um, but uh, so much better head strap. You get the headphones that are, are you know, presumably uh, good headphones because it says it's the deluxe audio strap. So I'm sure it's going to cost an arm and a leg. I'm expecting it to be at least a hundred dollars, maybe maybe one fifty to to replace the head strap on the back of my Vive headset. Is that worth the price point, though? Yes. Um, I mean, it's one of those things like it's an accessory to a to an eight hundred dollar device that they I mean they know that the number of people that they can potentially sell this thing to is pretty small so presumably this accessory is not going to have a, a you know it's got to be a low a low production run item I would think well so how easy is it to just swap out the head strap for your vive um it's actually really easy i just want to note really quick that um uh, the uh the hashtag that uh Pokey just put in text chat the first one is is truly applicable and I am going to share it if if he's okay with that. Here okay it's fine. Yeah, yeah, it's he, he put hashtag single with no kids and that's true. I have I have extra I have and, and disposable, that's income. Afford, disposable income. Um he can he can afford $100 head straps for a $600 yeah, piece of machine. They, now, to be clear, they have not announced prices. I'm just guessing here. Um but uh yeah, so the the Vive is actually terrifyingly modular. Um they really built it well in that regard. Um, the the tether cable does come off. There's like a, a port on the top you can pop open, and then there's there's all the different um, HDMI, USB, and um, audio, and and what's the other one? Uh, power connectors. They're they're all there on on the top of the headset, so you can remove that, and you can detach the head strap from the thing, and you can actually remove like the the face mask foam thing and the nose bridge. Um, so it's actually it's a very flexible device, and my my big my big question is, you know, when they come out with stuff like this, you know, they're gonna have this better audio strap. They actually they have a new tether cable too that they're not really publicizing. It's just um, the current one is like three bonded um, wires in in kind of like a, a a ribbon, and the new one they actually got everything down to a single cable, um, but between the headset and your computer, um, that then splits into three at the ends. Um, and the thing is, is you can replace those different parts pretty easily on the Vive. So my question is, is like when they come out with like a Vive 2, my hope is that they try and keep a lot of those standards the same so that, you know, maybe I don't have to buy a whole $800 kit to get the newest thing. Maybe I only have to get the parts that are new. I don't know if I'll be that lucky, but I can hope. Um, and then the final thing that, that uh, Vive announced uh, was that they're going to have a subscription service for VR games through their Viveport store. Um, and it's kind of funny because people think of the uh, HTC Vive as like the big Steam VR launch thing because it, uh, the Vive is all designed, you know, in part in in collaboration with Valve. Um, but HTC does have their own separate uh, game store for the Vive called Viveport, and the subscription service is going to be for for that. So, what do you give the subscription service? Does it say it's like it's like. Netflix for VR games. You can play it. You, you know, you you pay a monthly fee, and you can play all the games that they have on their their store, presumably. And there's there is like there's some things that are only on Viveport, and some things that are only on Steam VR. There are some things that are listed on both. 
I mean, that's interesting. I'd be kind of curious in how they um, they handle that because, I mean, the, obviously you have other subscription services like PlayStation Plus, which offer some free games and discounts and others, but it's it's certainly not all encompassing. Um, if they, I'm not positive about you know, if it's all all right, of them or right. most of them or what. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it'd just be interesting how they handle that because, I mean, if if it's you know, hey, you have access to our entire library for you know one low monthly payment, that's a nice way to eke out extra cash out of people every single month rather than trying to entice them with individual purchases. I, I think that could potentially work in their favor, especially if they obviously probably the bulk of their, their products are going to be pushed through steam, but if they want to keep select ones just for the Vive store, um, they can kind of influence and then push the, the consumer you know choice to, to go with that, that subscription. I think that's, it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. Cause I think that kind of the subscription model is something we see a lot in software and it certainly leads into gaming. So I'm kind of curious on how that's going to, you know, be handled moving forward. I'm sorry, go ahead, Pete. Well, I was just going to ask, Pokey, you said something there about um, PlayStation VR and and PS Plus. Is PS Plus going to offer... That's exactly um, what I was going to ask. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Because, you know, they they offer, you know, with your PS Plus subscription, you get your two free games for your your PlayStation 3 and your PlayStation 4. But with the, the PSVR, I'm wondering if... At, at some point in the near future, PlayStation's gonna gonna start uh, giving out you know one or two PSVR titles mm-hmm. uh, in with that that service. I, I think that's actually probably highly likely. They think, like like you said, they've got like their PS4, PS3, and their um, Vita categories, and there's usually like one or two games per each category that comes out every month. And I think it's it's probably advantageous to them to also include VR as kind of a fourth category to to offer because I mean they. Again, they they have to push their their hardware, so I mean that that's a good way to do it. If you want to go, hey, you know, if you already have PS Plus and you probably do, if you're playing on PS4, you pick up a VR headset, you're going to get free games every month, and and that that certainly appeals to people because they may be a little uncertain about the cost and and the the allure of knowing that you will at least have stuff to play every month um, is, is probably advantageous for their business model. So I, I kind of expect they'll go that direction with it. Um, there's no confirmation on that, of course. They haven't really talked about. Um, you know how PS Plus is going to interact with their VR stuff, but uh, you know I, I think that's probably a direction they'll take it in the future. It'd be really interesting to see the kinds of games that come out as a result of that. Um, to see if maybe we'll see more developers um, putting their stuff on uh, through Sony, so that it comes out. You know if if that is something that that Sony uh, does decide to do. Well, especially because VR works really well for. Um, simple games as well as mm-hmm. more complicated ones um, because you know the development cycle is we haven't really learned how to harness the VR really well because the harbor is kind of lagging on what we want to do but for stuff like, like the one I tried at the uh, the tech demo for the PSVR is the little tank Tron simulator where you're driving the tank around and shooting it's a very very simple game would not be difficult to develop um, but that kind of title would be really great for you know a freebie title on, on PlayStation Plus. Um, and, and I think that a lot of developers, and you, you see that a lot even now with the other like PS3, PS4 games, they're usually simpler games, they aren't the big blockbusters, but kind of the, the indie style almost, they get featured for PS Plus. And I, I think that VR actually is well suited for that. Um, it's just a matter of like, kind of library buildup. So, you know, they, they can offer the free stuff that's older rather than the stuff that just came out. So um, I think it'll be a little bit, but yeah, I, I think it's, it's probably going to be a benefit in the long run. Anyways, anything else on that before I move along to some of the stuff that Razer's doing? Nope. All right, so Zell, do you want to tell us what's going on with Razer and uh, their Chroma platform that they're kind of starting to push? 
Yeah, so um, the the big thing with Chroma is is that Chroma is like um, this standard protocol that they've put in all of their RGB lit mice and keyboards and other accessories that um, you know you, you can change colors on the fly and and hopefully synchronize it to your games. Um, and that's that's been around a bit a bit for a, already, but now they're going to open that platform up and allow more. Uh, devices to tie into it and and more people to develop for it and then uh, the cool prototype they showed off what they're calling um, uh, project Ariana is actually very similar to something I think we probably talked about when Microsoft did it in, if uh, if you remember um, where you put a projector behind the uh, the user and point it in the direction of the TV and it it literally like extends the visuals of the TV out across your entire room oh yeah um, so Razer demo basically the same thing Microsoft had done before, um, but with their their Chroma lighting platform behind it, of course, um, as well, so that all of the the keyboards and mice and stuff that you had would also sync with the the video. And I think they had like um, I think they were talking to like Hue lights or something like that on on joining that as well. So um, yeah, a, a big immersive experience without the VR headset. Um, which is is, is kind of neat, but it is a concept. It probably will never actually be a thing, just like the Microsoft thing that we haven't heard of since. Um, you know, it's one of those things that uh, they throw together um, just to impress CES. Um, I'm I'm actually I'm gonna kill uh, uh, Pokey here because I'm gonna mention something out of order um, because it's it's Razor news that that ended up detached from our other Razor news. Um, speaking of prototypes that are stupid. Um, and and just there to impress CES people, Razer came out with a, a triple screen laptop. It, it's three seventeen point three inch four K screens in a single laptop. They they like slide out into a triple screen setup. It's it's the stupidest thing that anyone has ever developed. And and it even has um, the chroma lights on the underside of the side screen so that it will make the table glow with the color that are being displayed on those screens. So now the desktop will also be included with, it looks absolutely ridiculous. Like, but if you look at the pictures in, on our, our list here, but the stream is seeing it right now. And this, this thing is, if, if you really need three screens, why the hell do you need to be in a laptop? Like who needs well, portability with that level of workload? I mean, just think about going to a LAN party, right? And then suddenly you have a better screen setup than the person who's like hosting the party because you just brought with you like a triple screen to do. No, see, see, what the thing is going to be, it's going to be people in airports, right? You know how people in the airports are already assholes with their with their laptops anyway, right? Pulling down the truck. You open up the laptop and you just get a screen shoved in your face. It's going to be some kid too, and you're going to look over and be like, motherfucker, I guess sit beside you for four hours. And uh, for the record, it's it's actually not only is it you know just obviously a prototype um and not something that anyone would ever actually sell um although i guess it does all fold into a nice 1.5 thick uh, form factor a 1.5 inch thick which is thick but not bad for three three monitors in a laptop in a gaming laptop um but uh the biggest problem with it is actually that it has a uh a gtx 1080 card or chip in there um which is good but not capable of powering um, three 4K screens in in like a game. So you, it, it's very clearly designed to create that immersive game stretched across three screen experience. But the the extent of the detail that it's capable of, which is three 4K screens, the graphics chip actually can't 
can't handle at this point. <laughs> so, so <laughs> why? Sorry, go ahead, babe. So why? Why put that in there? Well, I mean, I suppose you could do three three 1080p screens. That'll work. Um, that would that would run okay, but it kind of defeats the purpose, though. Zell, I have yeah. three 4K capable screens, and I, ah. yeah, it's it's again, it's like taking like a Ferrari and putting a Yugo engine in it or something. It's, I mean, and and now, mind you, I just referred to a GTX 1080 as a Yugo, which is completely false. It's it's a, the idea. the The reality is, is there really isn't anything that you could possibly fit in a laptop that could power this thing. Um, it, but it is what it is. I do like what Thaddeus just suggested in uh, in Discord, though, using it for for uh, productivity. The three sure, but, screen. but this is this is a Razer gaming laptop. It's not designed for productivity. <laughs> I know. It's, it's done. Razer needs to stop because at some point this gets really stupid. I mean, all, uh, CES, you just want to be in the news, and that's you come up with these crazy prototypes. Um, Toyota, Toyota created like an AI powered, like a self-driving car with like an AI that can show on different things. It could display messages on the bumper, crazy stuff like that. And Toyota's done some cool concept cars before, but again, it's not a real car. You're never actually going to get to drive one. You no plans to produce it. You know, it's just here's how you get in the news at CES that people think of your company as like a cool tech company. That's all it is. So what you're saying is that PC gaming is really just kind of a big penis contest? It is. I mean, did, okay. did it? Yeah. Are you just now <laughs> figuring this out? Oh, no. No, no. I'm being sarcastic, of course. But, yeah, no, it's – this thing is absolutely ridiculous, man. Like, the hinges on it look so flimsy for what it is. It's like a freaking monitor held up with two little plastic pieces. Like, it's, it's – uh, <laughs> Don't, it's don't have a toddler with that thing. Right, yeah. I mean, this is kind of like the the Ariana projector that, that they're also coming out with. Is the it's like it's really gimmicky. Like, yeah, you can mount a, a projector that scans your room, and developers can use the scan to dynamically project stuff on the walls that you know is custom fit for your room to give like an expanding game. No one's gonna do that. Like, it's <clears throat> it's purely the cool factor, which is which is fine. You know, it's just kind of like getting way ahead of ourselves with this stuff. It just amuses me that, that you see this sort of thing in, in PC gaming. You definitely don't see it in the console front because they're they're more just there to, to push the product out and not create the next crazy big thing that, that they can make. So even so, I think that the laptop is, is hilarious and I would love to see someone actually whip this thing out in public. Um, it's going to be some, it's gonna be some 15-year-old on an airplane. I... <laughs> Dude, you think you laugh? I'm not even kidding. You're going to see it like in a terminal somewhere. Some kid playing Skyrim on his 31080 monitor. You could be like, Asshole. I I am so waiting for that. Just so I can accidentally spill my hot coffee on the <laughs> keyboard. Right, right. <laughs> or one of the screens gets taken off by the trolleys. Yes. <laughs> I would I would pay. Think good about trying to find someone to, to fix that. this thing. <laughs> No yeah, one's gonna know how to fix old this. Tears. You have to mail it to Razor. I, I, oh I just gosh. can't decide which was stupider: the, the Ariana or the the three screen doohickey. The laptop. The, 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 the laptop projector is thing is, is kind of neat. The projector thing is actually. It's just it, it, it's reasonable. Like I, I could see you projecting like what no. your screen is on the wall behind it to kind of expand it and just make it look kind of cool. But like, come on, it's a three screen well, laptop that can't well, actually run. The th- the thing that bothers me with the projector is that's gotta like hurt your head, like especially in a in a small room. You have to have a big space for that. 
Well, and even their chroma stuff, like the example they used in the article was that I guess in Call of Duty, um, if you've got like a Razer keyboard, um, the keyboard will flash red when you're taking damage. Okay. Um, but then they're like, but now your whole room can flash red. I'm like, I'm going to have like a seizure. <laughs> My entire room starts flashing like crazy every time something happens in a video game. Like, I don't know if I really want everything around me to be reacting to If, if you can't handle like chroma, though, you're not ready for VR. <laughs> No, it's a little different for me, I guess. Because, I mean, VR is much more immersive than having my table lamps start flashing red frantically because something's going on. It's just, I think the RGB lighting is, is kind of silly, but, you know, some people like it. And I guess if that's what you like as a gamer, then more power to you. It's just something I, I, I just couldn't get behind. All right. I mean, I, I like uh, I'd like some RGB lighting in terms of just like house lighting. I don't know if I'd want to sync it to things. I, it's a little yeah, excessive. Yeah. Um, Especially if you have like really rapidly changing light, yeah, it's it's uh, yeah. Um, but so then moving on, um, the the other uh, thing that came out with a lot more details was um, that we a couple months ago Microsoft had announced that they had gotten a bunch of partners to create VR headsets for the whole new Windows holographic experience that they're uh, they're pushing in uh, the March update to windows 10 um and so this is this is like where you're going to see all the commodity pc makers getting involved um and uh so this is the first time that they've showed off the actual headsets and if you've and i i told you you were going to hear this again if you know what the the psvr looks like kind of its distinctive look is that it has this big headband piece above the headset and that's kind of where the resting weight is on on the top of your head more so than the the actual VR headset itself being just like clamped to your face as tight as possible, and I'm I'm seriously looking at the Acer, Dell, HP, and Lenovo uh, VR headset, and they all look like spitting images design wise of of the PSVR. I mean the 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 actual front of the headset looks a little different on each one, um, but they definitely went for the PSVRs style of how it sits on your head and and with vive making their head strap their new head strap kind of to move toward that direction as well um it seems like everybody has has come to the agreement that uh playstation sony got something really right with the uh the way they strapped that thing to your face yeah i i agree of all the headsets i've tried the, the psvr was by far the most ergonomic like it doesn't crush your face. It just rests on the top of your head, and it, it feels real good. And I'm I'm glad to see that other companies are going that direction because I don't like the directly strap it to the front of your face and you know cram it against your eye sockets. Like that's really uncomfortable over a long period of time. So I, I'm I'm glad to see kind of this more uh, crown style where it's, it's hanging in front of your eyes rather than being held on by by your face. And then there was another one uh, from a company called Three Glasses, which I've never heard of, that was much more like a traditional um, existing uh, Oculus or Vive um, strap. Um, and, and Microsoft is claiming, and I, I don't think there's prices specifically on all these yet, but Microsoft is planning to have at least one of them that clocks in down at like the $300 range. So they're, they're, they're really trying to make this more affordable. Well, I, think I think they're, I think they're right at that breakpoint. I'm sorry, go ahead, Pokey. No, no, go ahead. It's fine. Yeah, no, I I think I think Zell's uh, idea on that one, in terms of if that's the stated price point goal, or if that's just what he sees him going to, I, I think that's the closer it cre- creeps down to, I think somewhere between or hitting that two fifty to two hundred mark, I think that's where you, really where you have very common access across a lot of different you know kind of customer bands. 
And I guess a big part of how they're pulling that off is um, each of these headsets that are designed for Windows Holographic, uh, they don't have um, uh, like separate beacons. Like the Vive has two different beacons. Um, I believe the Oculus has just like a solitary thing that sits in front of on your desk in front of you. Um, whereas these things each have two cameras and they use um, the the video input from those cameras to generate the tracking of where your motion is. So they don't have a, they don't have a lot of extra equipment outside those headsets. Um, and that might be a little bit more intensive processing wise to do some of the calculations um, because they have to use visual data to work from. Um, but you know, the, the, the cost savings of course could be significant. Well, not to mention that uh, I think that the direction Microsoft is going is not so much VR, but the augmented reality, where they, they kind of want to overlay stuff onto um, what's actually in your room in, in some cases. I mean, obviously, we'll have the VR capability, but if you've got, you know, proper two cameras set up on the front of your, your headset, you could do true true 3D um, recording, and that will translate properly into your um, into your eyes and allows you to get that augmented reality. I think this is kind of the... Um, more reasonable stepping stone on the way to the uh, HoloLens, which I think was, you know, it, it was a gimmick, like you said, it was kind of a to get attention sort of thing. Um, but, you know, having that that visual input, and like I said, with the two cameras is actually pretty important if you're going to be doing augmented reality to kind of give you um, a proper sense of, of depth in, in the room that you're actually in and then overlaying on top of that. And I think that's kind of the direction Microsoft is trying to differentiate itself from the competition is that, hey, we're going to do this augmented reality and also have the VR as an option. So I, I think that's actually probably kind of important to kind of pay attention to because I think that the augmented reality stuff, we saw that with Pokemon Go, um, is very popular. And I think that's that's also a, a very important direction that this technology is going to go and, and probably not getting quite as much attention as um, traditional VR is, but I, I think it is definitely worth keeping your eye on. So do we know the reason why Microsoft has courted so many um, hardware developers to make these different versions of effectively the same thing. This is how, trying this to kind is of... this is kind of Microsoft's thing is they want you know if you want to really be the standard, everybody else needs to be building your stuff. You know, um, I, I, I honestly I think this is a this is a goal that if they can maybe secure that market where there's you know quite a few different manufacturers building to their standards, then everyone else making VR headsets would eventually fall in line as well. Um, I mean, that's, that's always how Microsoft's done things. I mean, they, you know, they've come out and they've done, you know, in recent times they've done like the Surface Pro, which is like the best two-in-one tablet PC thing. And they've done HoloLens, which is of course like the superior grade of, of what they're looking for here. Um, but generally their Microsoft strategy, even when building their own hardware is to build like theirs as the best you can build as like an example of what it can be. And to kind of set the the high standard, but then leave enough room for their OEM partners to build varying models of different price points and stuff like that. Seems fair enough. I mean, it's it's certainly a, an advantageous position to be in if you're you know in a budding new market like this. And so I, I can see why they would try to push for that, and, and you know, we'll see if they're successful or not. So I think that's what we that's everything I think for our um, kind of our, our tech segment. Um, do you want to kind of move on to? Uh, some of the gaming-related stuff. Um, I know that there's a new project started by a Dust514 member named Talos. 
who is trying to recreate some assets and maps from Dust in the Halo 5 Forge engine. You want to talk a bit about that? Yeah, so um, it's actually, it, it can be kind of hard to pull up the images he's got because it seems like Photobucket, at least for me, is like super slow. Um, but uh, yeah, he's been trying to create a bunch of the, the sockets from Dust to like the best of his memory in uh in the halo engine um and kind of the the cool advantage here is that um halo 5 forge is free on any windows 10 pc um what they did is that halo 5 is still you know an xbox one exclusive to do um but halo 5 forge is the map editor and they do allow you to create multiplayer matches on these on your custom maps and stuff that that other people can find enjoying um for windows 10 uh, which of course proves, by the way, that that um, they totally could just let you play Halo Five on Windows, but they don't want to because literally the engine runs and everything, and and all of these features of Halo work work fine in the in Windows Ten and and everything. So they they made everything work. They just want to make sure you have to buy an Xbox One if you want to play like the full the full program. Um, but of course, the goal is that you can design stuff in Forge and also play it on an Xbox. Um, and uh, so he's been making these these various sockets and he he was doing uh like uh the 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 table from the the center of that i don't even remember what they called that that the tabletop from the yeah the, i'm the trying to remember what map. the map was called it was like was that skim junction i never knew the tabletop <laughs> it was the tabletop map that's all you have to all right so he he was yeah, he everyone was, knows what you're talking about he was making the tabletop thing and you know modeling like the crate and the the capture point in that crate that's near near the base of the tabletop and you know stuff like that he was doing some of the it looked like some of the galante sockets and um so you know some neat stuff that he was putting together um you know very 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 basic at it so far but my hope is maybe that i can play like i'm you know maybe on on halo 5 we could we could get a match going at some point with at least a, a nostalgic look at uh, at some of the the dust maps that we used to play on yeah this is an interesting one for me um because I, i've obviously spoken before about my efforts using uh doom 2016's uh snap map editor to make what is effectively a dust inspired um co-op pde game mode and um it's uh, it's interesting seeing the difference here because like in snap map it's very much you're using pre-made rooms that are connected together you know and they, they snap together as the name implies and then you can populate the rooms with objects and stuff like that and, and honestly the, the the actual modeling you can do is extremely limited you have some very basic shapes you can kind of stretch and scale and, and push around to create some custom shapes so for the most part you're kind of stuck with um the the, the pre-made stuff that they've given you which is a very large library but it's certainly not powerful enough to recreate what uh this group of players is trying to do with with the dust project here on halo 5. um and actually some of the screenshots i did manage to pull up i had issues with his, with his photo bucket as well but I, I did manage to find a few and, and it does look you know very early but you know it definitely is it's taking the shape of what those maps are uh look like so you know in that regard it's pretty impressive now what i'm not quite sure about is i think that the doom system um has much more focus on the logic behind what you can do um, when I finally finish my my thing, it's it's pretty close to being done. You can kind of see the crazy amount of logic that that you can do with with the Doom system, and um, you know you're you're calculating integers and you're pushing stuff around, and it's 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 pretty pretty intensive on the programming side, um, even though it's kind of lackluster on the modeling side. And I think that 
Halo Forge is kind of the other way around, where it's obviously much more um, diverse and flexible on the modeling side, but I think its its programming is, is quite a bit simpler. Uh, so it'll kind of be interesting to see how um, this project plays out. I, I did email him and said, hey, you know, I, I don't have an Xbox, so I can't play, but if anyway, I can help out on, on the PC version, um, you know, let me know. And he, he basically said, you know, uh, download the, the program on Windows 10 if you have it. Uh, and if you can find any good pictures of sockets for reference, um, any developer blog or stuff like that, just kind of dig it up. Um, that's going to kind of help them out a lot. And then if you know you, you want to try your hand at, at modeling and stuff, that's that's something certainly that you can um, you know help out with. So I, I think it's 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 pretty cool. Um, map editing and in player created content is something that is very near and dear to my heart. I, I'm a little obsessive with it. Libby can attest to my laughing like a lunatic as I figure out some crazy way to do something that the game isn't supposed to allow you to do, but, you know, I found some way around it. Um, and, and so I, I have a lot of fun with that. So th this is certainly worth watching if you're into um, player-created content or if you're just interested in kind of, you know, maybe walking around the old dust environments um, in, in Halo 5. So I, I think it's definitely worth your time to check out the uh, the link. We'll get a link up on the, the website um, to the thread. You can kind of join in if you're, if you're interested in helping or just want to kind of follow along. Uh, it's certainly worth uh, your time, I think. And yeah, it's it's really interesting to me too to see that we have so many um, first-person shooters map editors coming into play again because, um, you know, I remember back in the day when it was like you'd be playing on people's like Quake 3-based custom servers and Unreal Tournament and stuff. You'd have all of these custom maps. You'd actually often play more on custom maps than the, you know, standard maps that ship with a game. And then when kind of the generation of shooters, you know, your Call of Duty and Battlefield, that that just ended. It completely ground to a halt. There was no more map editors. There was no more custom maps. It was just these are the maps that the developers think are awesome that they came up with. And that's all you're going to play on. Um, and then now we have like Halo 5 Forge. And then we have, um, you, you know, the Doom Snap Maps thing is, is a thing. Um, and that's that's really cool. Um, actually, one of the things that um, Star Citizen had specifically highlighted when they talked about, um, uh, you know, a couple weeks ago about the, the fact that they're switching to the AWS Lumberyard engine is that it's a free version. Uh, it's essentially it's a free version of CryEngine. So more people can play around with the Star Citizen game assets now for free than they could when they were using Crytek, which is a which is a paid for license. Um and they specifically highlight that, so it seems like they're maybe a little bit interested in, you know, what players can do with those assets or, or having custom assets. Um, the thing that I thought was really cool they did, I, actually it was a couple of years ago now, is uh, Star Citizen had a contest called The Next Great Starship, where they actually had, like, teams compete to develop, you know, a, a ship that would fit in the game, and, you know, they got back and forth feedback from some of the game designers and stuff like that and you know the winning ship actually is being developed for star citizen um it's actually it's it's personally my favorite out of their their entire um fleet of ships is the one that was designed by a group of players and i guess the i think the lead designer of the team that won actually got hired by uh sig afterwards so um yeah, I mean, I, I would really like to see more ways to not only just have these creators and these editors in these games, um, but hopefully, you know, some sort of review process or, or to take the best of that and, um, you know, polish it off and refine it and get it out to everyone. 
Well, that's actually an interesting conversation because um, Ripley Riley is also a, a big fan of the Doom uh, game. And, and him and I have kind of gone back and forth on, on the way that it has taken the development of that um, moving forward past the initial launch. And I've been overjoyed because they've heavily, heavily supported the Snap Map and adding new features and, and lots of stuff to, to, to play around with. Um, even the ability to kind of chain together maps to tr- like create like a player-made campaign. Um, and I think that's absolutely great. But for him, he's more interested in developer-produced content. He wants them to focus more on on creating more single-player um, developer-made content and, and you know, that more polished, you know, much more in-depth, much more control that you can't get from like a generic uh, map editor like you, you would with like Snap Map. Um, and so you, you've got a lot of people that are kind of on both sides of the fence and some who prefer the Snap Map, some prefer you know player made content and it's it's difficult because like like you said something that's important that you said was um kind of filtering it because you find in any game that has um the ability to create content i'll use little big planet as an example that game is 95 percent player content like the story is pretty quick you can finish it pretty easily It, it exists basically to teach you the basic mechanics of the game and give you some stuff to play around with but overall the point of the game was player made content and that's great. But the issue you run into is that 95% of player-made content is pretty crappy. Um, people just do dumb stuff. It's, that's not really enjoyable. They're just screwing around. And I think that can be a little frustrating for people when you're going into, you see all the stuff that's available, but most of it is is bad. It's, it's not really good content, um, which can kind of turn a lot of people off because they aren't going to be getting that same high quality of content that they're used to from the developer made stuff. So I think almost like a review process, which can be difficult to do because you, you want to keep the quality high, but you also want people to feel like they're being completely left out because they may not have like the absolute highest quality, but they, they're still pretty good. Um, but again, you, you want to make it kind of that, that higher standard. So it'll be interesting to see, like you said, you start to see it um, emerge a lot more. I think that, like I said, Little Big Planet was probably uh, fairly instrumental in kind of reviving a lot of this player-made content drive. And it, granted, it's not a first-person shooter, but when you have a game entirely built off of that, um, it does draw attention to it, and it, it was very successful. And I think that kind of helps push uh, player demand in that direction. So, you know, we'll, we'll have to see. And there's a lot of ways to do it. Like I said, Doom and, and Forger are very different in how they handle uh map design and, and playing around with that and that sort of thing so you know we'll, we'll have to see but I, I think for me personally i think it's it's a really good direction to be taking it um because it basically is free content for the developers um and if they put a little bit of effort into trying to you know weed out the, the really crappy stuff at the very least um so you at least have like a moderate to high quality content being produced on a regular basis that's going to really help the longevity of your game um and i i, I do hope that we see uh more of that in the future because I, I certainly believe that players enjoy that, that they can create something that is their own um you saw that with uh you know dust the idea of you know oh you can kind of make your own base and stuff like that and that's kind of something that they teased around with which obviously never came to fruition but that was kind of a selling point that people liked was the idea that you could make something your own and even if you're just making minor changes the fact that you have player control to do it is very appealing so i, I do think that we'll see more of this in the future um, which I think is great. It's kind of a matter of how they're going to handle it. So, it, again, it's, it's certainly worth keeping your eye on, I think. You know, one of, you, you did mention something I, I think it's, it's worth telling here. Um, games that tend to have a really healthy player-driven content uh, activity, they generally have about one of two things that you can do with it. Uh, 
One would be something sort of along the lines of Eve or some of the bigger, truly more open-ended sort of games where it's kind of kids do you want, do what you want, like kind of that classic sandbox, but actually providing sand in the box and then people just walking away and then sort of letting it organically happen. That's, that is one way that you get player driven content. The other way, uh, which I think you see the hyper, the hyper end of that would be something like uh, Minecraft where it's a, a, an incredibly thriving mod type community that actually supplies in uh, a very steam like fashion. And like you said, there's a lot of, there's a lot of stuff out there and there's, it's kind of a bell curve, you know, some of it's good, some of it's really good, some of it's not good at all. Uh, but you get this huge, you know, sort of panoply of things that you can pick from. Uh, and, and I do like the idea. I think, you know, Zell hit me, I was sitting here, had my thinking cap on. He's like, he, I remember that distinctly when you used to have map editors that would come in FPS games when you would go buy it, buy the box, you know, down at the local Radio Shack or whatever. Uh, and and I absolutely haven't seen that, which I really think now that now that I'm really kind of putting my head against it, it's just another way that they can give you access DLC so you can ha- buy more maps from them. Uh, is probably more more along the lines of what it is. But um, I think when you I, I like the idea of when you have a company that will really uh, champion a mod or a content driven activity by the players. So you, what you guys were talking about earlier, bro, and and in fact CCP did this a couple times locally. Like when there was like, hey, you know, who's got the best idea for like the skin of a drop suit for Dust 514 or who's got, you know, the best, uh, you know, like one paragraph story blurb, you know, fluff blurb that you can put in and that goes into the game. Little things like that would be very easy to champion and probably buys a lot of sort of sort of crowdsourced design brain power against certain things. I, I could see if you had a developer or a game that would really sort of provide some tools and then sort of get basically free developmental work out of, out of its, uh, out of its audience. That's not a bad way to go. If you've got, if, if they kind of keep their hand on it a little bit. Yeah. And that was the cool thing with the whole, the next great starship thing was, you know, it was a contest and it was content in itself. They were doing episodes talking about, you know, team's progress. They made like a whole reality show out of it. Um, But you know, the, the whole thing was, it was, they were given kind of the guidelines of what, they needed to do to fit it within the universe of the game and including you know they were given a prompt of this is the type of ship you need to build this is what it's got to be able to do and you got a lot of different concepts and a lot of different grades of quality and a lot of different you know unique ideas out of it and then you know the 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 best one filtered to the top yeah and and like i said and the cool thing is uh, usually what happens is it's done in a way that most people in the community will actually see it, you know, like, you know, what, the, what I mean is, Hey, submit your, your picks or your drafts or your whatever's. And it's usually done in a fairly public way. You know, it's like, Hey, here's what we're submitting on this forum thread or send it in or whatever, or, or it's readily available somewhere after the submission is made. And, um, generally you don't really see when you do have like, you know, sort of content, uh, that's driven by the players. You don't see a lot of people that just like are up in arms and going, wow, that's shit it's usually pretty good because it's, it's designed by a player and it gets some grassroots support. Uh, whereas sometimes you get like some, uh, a little bit different pushback when you get to get the feeling it's done in a bubble by developers and pushed down to you. So, I mean, I think it'd be kind of a neat push pull event if they w- if you would have developers, particularly in FPS games that would kind of look after that, like, Hey, who's got the best map concept or the best, uh, 
game mode concept for like a one-off, you know, something like that that you can put out for a special event, queue it up for like about a, you know, like a month, like a, you know, the winter warfare event or whatever the heck. And then you actually get some live testing. People see how they like it and you never know if it's good enough, they adopt it. And, you know, maybe you get a gun named after you on the game or something like that. Or a planet. True. <laughs> True. Or a planet. Yeah, I mean that, that's a really good point, Jay. That I, I think there's a lot of ways you can you can build um, a much stronger interaction between the players and, and the developers if, if you kind of engage in that sort of activity. And and even if it's not directly de- designed by players, and like you said, it's more like a concept or an idea or just like a, a rough idea that they that the developer then kind of finishes out. Um, I, I think that's that's it shows a lot it shows a quite a bit of humility um from the developers aspect that you know hey we may not always have the best ideas or you may have thought of ideas that we hadn't and they're still really good ideas you know i think that that sort of um, mentality is appealing to players and i I do wish we'd see more of that and i think it's something that is doable it's just a matter of you know (laughs) getting them to actually do it so i think uh, think hopefully seeing more of that yeah, no, I'm, I'm sorry, man. I lost my train of thought, dude. All right. Anything else on that, guys, before we move along? Okay. Uh, Zell, since we're talking about player-generated content and how great it is, do you want to tell us about a Landmark, which is a player-generated content game that is now it's going dead. under? <laughs> um, yeah, so um, this is uh, Daybreak Games, which has had... Um, let's just put it this way. When's the last time you recall hearing good news that involved Daybreak Games? Can, okay, um, for, for those of us who are only mildly aware of this, could you uh, could you at least in ten seconds or less tell everybody what who what Daybreak produces? So um, EverQuest. So, um, Day, yeah, Daybreak is the yeah, former is the former uh, company known as the 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 company formerly known as uh, Sony Online Entertainment, um, and uh, they're working on EverQuest next. And then Landmark was just supposed to be like it was supposed to be like a, a kind of a like an early way to build content that would actually be in EverQuest Next. Um, and then they canceled EverQuest Next um, sometime last year. They said it's never going to happen. We're sorry, etc. But then they said, but but Landmark is you know really its own thing. We're going to keep it, and it's gonna it's gonna stick around. And um, it, it it didn't stick around. They are shutting it down on February twenty first. Um, they specifically uh, stated in their FAQ for this that they uh, will not authorize fan servers or open source anything, and that they intend to retain all of their rights and property to everything involved in the game. Um, so don't ask. Um, they also will not be providing uh, refunds on any Daybreak cash, but you can use it on other Daybreak games, of which I'm not sure how many there are left. Um, and uh, of course, like any sensible game company, the forums will die when the game dies, <laughs> which they also clearly stated. That's yeah, I mean that's that's unfortunate. I mean, I'll, I'll be straight with you. Like, I, I had to actually ask. Like, uh, other than me reading this this the show notes, I had no idea that they produced EverQuest or they were involved in the thing that was going to be the next EverQuest, which was never going to get off the ground because the market's so glutted in that arena anyway. Uh, um, yeah, oh. no, I, I I'm with you, Jay. I, I didn't. I, I knew EverQuest. I mean, that's that's oh, so they actually, pretty common. But they I didn't know the name of the developer. They, so. they, they do actually this. have some decent games under their their title that yeah. are current. Um, this do, is actually Planet Pla- Side. Yeah, this is Plant Side yeah. too. So you can use your Daybreak currency that you bought for EverQuest Next or Landmark. You can spend it in Planet Side too. Um, 
They also they also have uh, H H1Z1 is theirs as well. Um, and I don't I don't know if they sell anything with Daybreak Cash for that. H1Z1 is um, a Daybreak game. Uh, yes, it is. Oh, okay. I did not know that. So so now you know there are there they actually do have a couple current games that are are working, um, and uh, they also have um. Uh, it looks like DC Universe Online is theirs, and that's still active as well. Um, and then they had uh, the uh, Payday the Heist game as well. Oh, so they're good. And then there's like, I guess the original EverQuest is still active, and then everything else they've ever done is dead. But because they did like, they're like, you know, um, Star Wars Galaxies and The Matrix Online and a whole oh, bunch of other games. Yeah, it's it, like The Matrix Online, I, they shut down... Um, you know, a few years back, I remember reading an article about when they closed. Um, it actually, it, like most it, of their games, it looks like closed in like 2011, 2012, that, that vicinity. There were a lot of games that they had, you know, from the early 90s, or I mean, late 90s through like early 2000s, like 2003, 2004, 2005, that like all died in like 2012. That um, sounds like a company problem. Something happened on the inside. Well, I mean, I mean, the big thing was that they used to be, you know, SOE, and then they got, you know, spun off into Daybreak Games, and I, I think a lot of stuff really collapsed around then. Yeah, um, called money. That's that's fascinating. Uh, I haven't. I'll be honest with you. I have not even. I have. I have not heard the name EverQuest mentioned in, in reference of gaming in I don't know how long. That it's that's that's fascinating. That that game's that game was around. That was one of the original, like old school, heavy hitter MMOs. Oh yeah, I mean that's that that's I'm I'm actually impressed that's still running. But then again, Final Fantasy XI is, is is it like running as in it's a sponsored sort of like money making thing, or is it like running because like people in the in the community have like sort of open sourced just holding on to it on their own servers? Uh, let's take a look here. No, EverQuest.com yeah, is still active. So yeah, I'm guessing it's probably still going. It looks it's, like there's a uh, a new expansion as well you can buy. It's amazing. I mean, but bear in mind this game came out, you know, before the turn of the century, and it looks like it. Yeah, it, it's it's effectively yeah, not oh, yeah. changed that much. Um, I mean they've they had uh, their their first expansion was like in 2000, and so they're they they do have this new expansion from from a couple months ago. But you know, you have the game engine. You have, you know, it's like it's like World of Warcraft. They've done a lot of graphical upgrades over the years, and they've done a lot of you know improved things that they couldn't do when the game first came out. But it still looks like World of Warcraft, you know. And this is this yeah, is even older. Yeah, it definitely's got that wild look to it. But you know, I guess if you have the people that are hanging on to it solely by nostalgia alone, then you know, shit, RuneScape is still going for God's sake. So. You know, obviously someone's putting enough money in their pockets that it's worthwhile, you know, to keep pushing development forward. Also, you can probably run, like, the original EverQuest servers off, like, you know, an old PC PC you have lying in the back room or something like that. I don't know. (laughs) Run that shit off your iPhone. Yeah. (laughs) You think I'm joking? I'm I'm, I'm sitting here, here, I've got, like, an iPad Pro up right now, and I I guarantee you I've got stuff on here that's, like, that would destroy EverQuest in terms of its (laughs) ability to, you know, just graphics, gameplay, whatever you want to call it. Jesus. But, uh, yeah, so, um, pretty unfortunate. Yet another Daybreak closure. I've seen many many in the past, and and there, there aren't many left to go in terms of things that haven't been closed yet. Um, 
But uh, yeah, so that that was kind of the last hope that EverQuest I think had for like you know a really next gen thing was was Landmark, and uh, that's that's done. Yep, no, that's that is unfortunate. I mean, it's as we all know, it's it's always depressing when a game that you're playing or or at least enjoyed you know finally gets shut down. But it's it's typically an inevitability in in most cases. So uh, you know, it's, it sucks for those that are still interested in it, but you know, it's kind of the way things go, unfortunately. Um, but moving forward, do you want to tell us um, a bit about one of the new discoveries that someone has made playing the game Elite Dangerous? Yeah, so um, so this is really cool. We don't we don't talk about Elite Dangerous a lot on the show, um, mostly because Denny doesn't come on the show. If 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 Denny Fleetfoot came on the show, we'd be talking about Elite Dangerous every week because he's a really big fan. He fanboys over over Elite Dangerous the way we all used to fanboy over Dust, but. Uh, um, you know, Elite Dangerous is kind of known as you know the spaceship game that came around came out around the same time as everyone was told Star Citizen would come out, but didn't. Um, so, um, and and the big the big kind of limited view in terms of the scope that they went for is they didn't try and combine like a FPS game with like a fighter game. Like the the fighter combat is very similar, um, but you are in you are always in a seat in Elite Dangerous. Like they added. Um, they added like the ability to leave your ship and drive around on a planet surface, but that's in like a rover. So you you like transfer from the pilot seat of your ship to like the seat of a rover. You don't get to get out and walk around, and that's actually that's one of the reasons um, VR actually is well supported and elite dangerous because they don't have to worry about people walking around. It's all seated in a cockpit all the time. Um, but so the thing is, is you know this game's been out for a couple years, and uh, there are no aliens in this game. Um, or to be clear, there had been no aliens in this game um, because this guy was like all of a sudden he was warping somewhere and like his hyperspace window started to destabilize and then it pulled him off somewhere and the ship kind of goes dead and goes adrift. And then this like crazy flower shaped organic looking ship, you know, flies past him and turns around and does this, you know, very, very classic alien probing look, you know, effect on his ship. And then, uh, you know, turns around and, and jumps off again. And then his, his ship, you know, powers back up and restabilizes itself. Um, and it just it looks so cool. So, so somebody posted this. They actually did this on Xbox because Elite Dangerous is actually multi-platform, um, and they had actually recorded this with Xbox. And so then a couple people did stitch it together to put, um, you know, it's on YouTube all over the place. Um, but it it seems like this is one of those things where it's, this is like a major thing that they. I think managed to slip in into the game under people's noses. I mean, we're in a day where usually like everything that's coming in a game gets like data mined out of the files and stuff like that. Um, but, uh, you know, they pulled this surprise off where they just like had this like little alien abduction of a guy and it, they kind of indicate that this is going to kick off like a, a larger, a larger thing. So I, I, I'll admit I, I do not play elite dangerous. Uh, have you guys actually played it? I tried it really briefly, and I I didn't get very far with it. I just kind of like abandoned my ship off floating in space. I guess the the bigger the the general big question I'm asking is like because I don't really have a sense of like how big or how significant the following of Elite Dangerous is. Is it you know still pretty much like a, a niche style game that like this is a big deal for a small number of people, or is this like a big deal? Um, it, it's not Tracer's butt big deal. You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean it's not it's not Overwatch scale. Um, but 
it, it is like, especially in the UK, because this is a, this is a game from a, uh, a, Brit- a British developer um, that was, and and the early um, elite games were some of the earliest space simulation games out there. Um, I think probably in the same, like, this is kind of the, the funny thing about, like, Elite Dangerous and Star Citizen and everything. Star Citizen is, you know, based on that, the Wing Commander breed of, of things with, with Chris Roberts, and, and Frontier had actually been, you know, one of these very early space sim game companies way back then, too. Um, so there is a there is kind of a nostalgia factor for a, a large group of players, especially in the UK. Um and of course, it's it is one of the few games that that um, is a full full high end game that supports VR. And it's the universe is pretty big too, if I'm not mistaken. And granted, it's not No Man's Sky big, or I don't think it's as big as uh, um, what's that other one, Star Citizen. But it's it, it's no it's no small uh, no small thing. Star Citizen actually probably has the smallest universe of anything right now. They have one. Oh, really? Yeah, right now they literally oh, have like well, one planetary system, and they're planning on going out. They're going to have like you know several different you know star systems, but. Um, Elite does have a, a significantly sized, you know, scale of universe, and and you can actually like with if you have the Horizons expansion, you can actually approach planets and go land on them and drive all over them and stuff like that. Um, so it is it is a pretty big universe, and you know it, it's really cool for them to introduce something rather than with a press release or you know someone data mining it out that they literally just like had this built this into the game that that like this random ship would just get like abducted and 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 probed and to kind of go back to your previous question jay um as of january 14 2016 so uh, about a year ago um they released that there's been 1.4 million copies sold with the average play time of 60 hours so um it's 84 million player hours total so you can kind of it's not you know an exact look at it, how popular it is but you can kind of tell that's that that's about you know the average person is going to spend about sixty hours playing it. I was about to say that that sounds like people pull it off. The, they they go buy it. They try it for about two weeks because that's two weekends worth of and some shit in the between. So two maybe three weeks, and then they're like, "Yeah, I'm not doing this anymore." <laughs> yeah, I mean, averages well, can, be, I mean, can be deceiving, but that's that's kind of the, the general feel. You get people like me that played it for about you know forty minutes and gave up. And then people who, who yeah. like live in this game. <laughs> It'd be kind of interesting to see what the average playtime for Dust was, given how horrible the new player turnaround was. Or, uh, yeah, turnaround was compared to that's that, the thing that, that psychopaths you, you, like us that played this, for four hundred hours. You you just have so many people that would like barely like logged in, tried a match, and been like, "Wow, this game sucks," and then they're done. And then you have people like us who played ridiculously, you know. I think, well, I think we, yeah, you had what about two thousand people that kept that game aloft, man. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much. I think we pulled Livy in, and she played like three rounds, and was like, "What the fuck is going on? I think I need a break." And then we never played it again. <laughs> so, so yeah, I mean, Elite Dangerous is, is kind of one of those. In like Celsius, it's a very good looking game. It is VR compatible. Um, and I think it's like 20 bucks for the base game. So that's, that's, it's pretty reasonable if you want to get, you know, 20 hours out of it or something like that. That's, it's not expensive to at least try it out. Particularly if you have a VR headset, it's, it's a nice game to kind of test out on and, and kind of get a, a cool space simulator, even if you're not planning on playing it for, you know, 60, 120, 180 hours. I mean, it, it, 
it can be a fun two weekend event if as jay pointed out so you know it's certainly worth at least looking into if you have a vr headset or if you just want a good space sim um with some of that gameplay it's probably worth taking a look at Fair uh, but speaking of uh, speaking of space games zell um i know you're a you're a rabid fanboy for this one so what's uh what's the new trailer this week so um mass effect and dramata uh put out their new trailer uh, actually at ces as well i think they had uh you know, one of the the hardware vendors showing it off. Um, and honestly, I'm just I my eyes just like were treated to this this beautiful. They they uh, they start this out with a, a nice sequence with uh, one of the new ships, the Tempest, um, which looks uh, fairly similar to the the old Normandies. Uh, and uh, I I like pretty spaceships, and it's a very pretty spaceship. Um, that's that's really what I have for it. Um, is that it's a very pretty, it's a very pretty spaceship and I want one. It's a very um, pretty game too, man. Like that yeah. first shot, I just got done watching the trailer. That f- like first shot on the planet where it pans, it shows the character and it pans up and it looks into kind of like a, a, a ravine almost or a valley that's on this, this alien world. It's just so pretty. I can't wait to play the game. Yeah. And this is, um, this is frostbite engine, which is, uh, battlefield right yes yeah yeah so um that was a big engine switch for them this time around compared to the old uh mass effect trilogy um it definitely looks a lot better i mean when you look at like the difference between mass effect one and this um the 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 franchise has has aged well (laughs) and uh the big news though is that they announced a release date is uh this will actually be coming out on uh, march 21st of this year um of which i will i will have have purchased it already and and hunted down the 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 ups people uh for it yeah i was actually surprised that it's coming out so soon i kind of expected more like a a q2 q3 maybe um but you know march is is pretty close i mean it's uh, a little over two months away so i mean it's been in development for a long time well yeah but i just bought final fantasy 15 which is been in development sort of for 10 years so you know my, my perception is a little off for for long-running games and in, in terms of when they come out so um but yeah no, i mean it, it looks fantastic and, and that's coming out on ps4 xbox one and pc on uh, march 21st as zell said I, I actually i think and technically i think that's the u.s release date and i think like in the eu it's like two days later on like the 23rd yeah yeah it's the 23rd silly euros <laughs> where you'll pay more be careful i'm sure there's like one person from the eu who's listening and you've just deeply offended them so you know whoops sorry our only listener <laughs> anyways well yeah I'm, I'm looking forward to this one um i have been negligent in my efforts to, to play the mass effect series but this is probably the, the most most likely way to actually get me to join into the series is, is andromeda so i'll, I'll pipe here on this one as well and and pick it up uh Probably for PC. Well, we'll see what the specs for, the spec requirements are. My PC's get a little old, but uh, <clears throat> yeah, it looks it looks good. Everything looks good till it gets punched in the face, aka downloaded and try to play it once. <laughs> I have had some bad experiences with that shit. Like, well, hey, I mean, new game. I mean, like, oh, oh god. I mean, the reality yeah. is, like in today's day and age, you can make anything look good. I mean, you really can. Mm-hmm. You can make anything look like hyper bomber legit. Uh, now, the, the, the simple fact is Mass Effect has got a really good track record. Uh, I am kind of interested to see it. Uh, they were really one of the 
I would not necessarily call them a pioneer, but they were definitely one of the people that, that clearly put uh, story-driven uh, mass market gaming out as a uh, you know as a thing that, that could be pretty decent. You weren't playing Mass Effect necessarily for the the cutting edge shooter gameplay. Uh, it was it was fairly it did the job for everything you wanted to do, but it just it it told a really good story and it used the action of the game to drive the story along. So uh, for that. If they follow in a similar format, uh, you know, something like that, I, I think it'll be a, a pretty successful. They've got enough name cachet that uh, it'll be interesting to see them branch out and, and, and get after that. I'm, I've been really actually waiting for some of the next, uh, particularly on the console, like the next really true kind of player, really smart player story, cerebral games to kind of come out that still have an, an active play component telltale games is really good at some of this but they don't they're not really designed for action gaming uh arkham knight it's probably that's definitely a comic book on rails kind of thing uh there's not a lot of big choices that you make but it's just a really well done story laid out in game form but mass effect because you can truly have a lot of different impacts over time uh it was it's pretty pretty interesting. If they if they basically build on what you saw out of the last iteration of Dragon Age, uh, the Dragon Age Inquisition st- stuff, which is that really was a direct descendant of how the Mass Effect game started. I th- I am very excited to see what Mass Effect Three brings to the table. I just I hope it's not only more of the same. I hope they actually try to up their game up a little bit. Yeah, I, I think that they've they've got some big shoes to fill, but you know, hopefully they can <clears throat> you know pull it off and then produce something that's as good, if not better, than than the legacy they've left behind for the Mass Effect trilogy. So definitely worth keeping your eye on. I think it's gonna be it's gonna be interesting. Um, I'm not sure if I'll. <laughs> I'm very wary on pre-ordering games lately. Um, I, I tend to wait for the the reviews, but luckily you tend to get reviews before the release date. So we'll we'll, we'll kind of see what it looks like in the days leading up to the 21st. But uh, I'm definitely keeping my eye on this one. Um, was there anything else you guys wanted to cover real quick before we kind of bring this one in for a close? I think I think we can land this plane. I think, I think we can land this plane. Okay. I, I mean, you have um, like flight I mean, attendants trying to land this plane, but I I think we can do it. <laughs> All right. Um, let's go into shoutouts then. Um, Zell, are you are you ready for this? You have a shoutout. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna give a shout out to uh, someone who whose plane is landing. Actually, as um, I actually uh, uh, my friend Justin at uh, TechAris, I was uh, bugging him to uh, look at things and and stuff during uh, during CES because he was there. Um, and I am uh, I'm hoping we can maybe get him on to talk about some of the stuff he saw. He got to like play with hands on. Um, but uh yeah so i want to give a shout out to him because he it was super helpful to literally just be able to like grab someone who was there and message them and be like hey did you did you go to this did you try this is this cool um you know so that 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 was that was really fun for me um being that i didn't didn't like spend money to go to ces Alrighty, and babe uh, yeah, a couple of things. Um, first, I want to give a shout out to uh, Thaddeus Reynolds. Um, he's over in Eve uh, with a, uh, a corporation uh, that is uh, trying to make some content for uh, Dust Clones. And I think during this podcast, they, um, if you remember, we uh, we talked about them a couple of weeks ago. They um, they put up a Citadel, and then I guess the Citadel got blown up. And so they anchored, they anchored a new one uh, during the course of the show. 
Um, so it's up. It's in one of the next systems over. So you can go out there and, and visit that if, if you're into that. Um, and then I'll give a shout out to the weather right now. It's January and I'm in Florida, the land of sunshine. And it's cold here and I don't know what to do. <laughs> you, you realize that you've got Zell who lives in Chicago, right? In, in January? I don't, I don't care, dude. It was 32 years today. It was cold. <laughs> it's, it's single digits here. Um, it's no it's been single digits for days, and I believe it is expected to continue being single digits going forward for for a while. It was single digits Celsius here. Well, oh well it's negative <laughs> Celsius here. Thank you. Next headline: <laughs> Florida man freezes to death. Dude, Florida man is <laughs> presently so yeah, cold it's, right now. You know the whole thing where you know everything in Atlanta had to close down because there was like an inch of snow which in fairness the the real problem is that um the south doesn't have the adequate um equipment to you know salt and and plow everything as expediently as we do here um and nobody down there knows how to drive in in you know when the when you can't consistently refer to the road as a hard dry solid surface and you were instead driving on you know fluffy powder um but uh yeah Get good, man. Get we good, deal man. with we yeah, we I deal know. with the cold and the snow up here all the dang time. Uh, too cold here. Can't be doing that. Waiting for my seven yeah, degrees. <laughs> I mean, I'm in Arizona here, so we, we put our jackets on when it gets down to like you know 50. So you know, we're <laughs> I can't really talk either, but uh, I feel you, man. Uh, all right, Jay. Uh, shout outs, man. Yep, sure. Um, I will throw a shout out out to. A little bit of NFL. I had a good NFL weekend. Uh, so the C- Seattle Seahawks and the Houston Texans won. Don't ask. I could explain in a very long diatribe on why I like two two teams that are in very different parts of the U.S. But I'll, I'll leave it at that and say I had a good good sports ball weekend. Um, other than that, I, I would like to get a quick shout out to uh, Neverwinter. It's an MMO on PS4. I think it's also on Xbox and uh, it's a PC one. It's a classic Dungeons and Dragons sort of. Uh, like Forgotten Realms theme. It's actually really good. Uh, I've been fairly impressed with it. Uh, the The mechanics are, are pretty smooth. There's nothing crazy about it. It basically plays uh, like a, a pretty current updated, you know, sort of role-playing uh, game, that you, like kind of the old isometrics that you would play, uh, but it's definitely upgraded for kind of handheld console controls. It's really good. Uh, I, I've been. It's not. It's not elaborate. But what is really good about it is that uh, you, you can get some pretty interesting fluff out of it. It really pays a lot of fan service to a lot of the the deep, you know, sort of fluff and lore stuff out of uh, Dungeons and Dragons, which have been around for you know, decades upon decades. One of the cool things is several of the module adventures that that come with it either is free or uh, unlockable DLC. They're actually written by uh authors of the, like the actual like novel authors many of the novel authors uh to include some you know new york times best-selling fantasy writers actually wrote several of the uh, uh some of the game modules that are that you can get into which is kind of cool and if you know anything about their books like r.a salvatore is a he's a good example of that if you if you play the the couple of the modules that he wrote, you'll immediately see how that there's a couple things that they, they throw in there very intentionally that ties things together between different books. Uh, and this is obviously from a couple of years ago, but it was I, I didn't I didn't know he did this, and it was kind of interesting. I, I was I've been playing it for about a week and a half now. Pretty 
pretty enjoyable. So I do recommend people, if you're an old Dungeons and Dragons fan or you're looking for, you know, kind of an interesting MMO style, you know, kind of, RP, you know, fantasy, high fantasy RPG, it's probably worth giving a look. Uh, so other than that, uh, I would like to give a, a shout out to uh, my best friend in the whole world, uh, my eight-year-old son, who uh, is absolutely housing people in Star Wars Battlefront. Uh, much to my surprise, I was playing with him. Like I bought him a PS4 for Christmas so he can play in one room and I can play in the other. So we're not split screen co-op. And of course it's driving my wife crazy because we're yelling across the room. You know, he's like, cover your sector, throw the butt, throw the grenade. What are you doing? Don't cook it in front of me. You know, it's, it's hilarious. All the shit you'd say on comms, but you're doing it with an eight year old who's like right next to you. (laughs) So it's driving my wife nuts. Uh, but he absolutely, he was I couldn't figure out what he's doing in there. And I, I saw him through the game because you can't like, uh, long story short, I saw him do his first tea bag on a guy after he killed him t- today. I was like, I just, I just put the, put the PlayStation controller down, got up, fixed myself a scotch and said, my work here is done today. <laughs> so that's my shout out for the day. <laughs> All right. Sounds good, man. All right, Libby. Man, following that, um, I really don't have a shout out. I do want to announce though that Pokey has been appropriately introduced to Blade Runner. Legit. <sighs> okay, we'll get to Pokey. Um, I, I will say that many shots of that film, if you had told me it was made, um, you know, five years ago, I would believe you. Like it looks absolutely incredible for a modern movie much less one that was made in 1982 like it it's just absolutely fantastic and it's good to finally see in its entirety um where all those concepts in other cyberpunk stuff has come from and you see it peppered throughout and you know i, I was very very impressed i was commenting the whole time it's probably driving me nuts but you know on how well the thought it was and how good the cinematography was and the storytelling was and stuff like that and um, I, I do see what you're saying now about how it's very open-ended. There's a lot of kind of questions that they they kind of intentionally left unanswered, um, which makes me very, very excited for the sequel. So I'll definitely be hopping on when uh, the next Blade Runner sequel comes out. Yeah, best bad slash good guy ever. Uh, right? Uh, yeah, no, I, I agree. That was it, it's. I enjoy those stories where there is no proper antagonist. Like, you, you legitimately feel... Maybe not sorry for the the quote unquote villain, but you understand his motivations and you sympathize on some level. And then you know you're like, well, I'm I'm kind of cheering for the hero here, but what he's doing isn't necessarily great either. So it's kind of that ambiguous um, morality that you you sometimes get in these stories, and I, I really enjoyed that. So I, I think it'll be good to see where they take it uh, moving forward, and I hope that they can kind of live up to um, what the original was able to provide. Uh, but yeah, so that, <laughs> that was kind of part of my shout out was uh, for Livy and Jay for getting me to actually sit down and watch the entire Blade Runner movie uh, from start to finish because I've, I've only seen parts of it uh, uh, prior. But uh, yeah, shout out for that. That was that was really good. I, I enjoyed it. Uh, my other shout out goes to Talos. I will butcher his last name, so I will not try. But uh, for his efforts in, with the, the Halo 5 uh, Forge project for Redux 5.4, I think that that's really cool. I don't own an Xbox, so it's going to be pretty hard for me to really participate, but I will help that project as best I can. I, I do hope that people who are able to or interested kind of hop on that as well. So with that being said, I want to thank everyone for, for joining us tonight. I, I do apologize for my uh, <laughs> my raspy voice, and I, I want to thank everyone for uh, kind of filling in and, and, and helping you know fill the space. Zelda did a good job, and, and everyone else in the discussion. So 
thanks for that. Um, yeah, but that being said, if you guys want to be on the show, if you want us to discuss anything in particular, um, be sure to let us know. You can contact us uh, either our emails or Twitter. They're, they're available on the website, biomass.net. Uh, we also have a survey that is still available. Um, if you want to go on there, we, we would appreciate your feedback. Um, we've been kind of getting some some responses trickling in still, but I kind of want to replug that. So if you are interested in providing feedback, that's also another way you can do it. Um, but that being said, I, I, I want to thank you for tuning in, and I hope you all have a good and safe night.